0: And we praise God for you. We thank God for His grace in granting you salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and granting you a new life in Christ. I remember years ago when you first came out the Cornerstone, I don't know if I should share this or not, but no, why not? <laughs> uh, nobody else is listening. Um, I remember talking to him right after service, I, I think I preached a real strong gospel message and I think he was kind of offended, and I talked to him. Right after service, I walked up to him, and he said, I asked him, we we're talking about the gospel, and I asked him where he would go if he were to die today. And he said, I'd go to hell, and I'm okay with that. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember just the brazenness with which he rebelled against Christ, and the confidence that he had, and the just the uh, coldness of his heart towards the gospel. He, said, he, he openly said, I'm going to hell, but I'm okay. I want to li- live in sin. And um, amazing what God has done in your heart to change that heart of stone into a heart of flesh and to have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you to bear good fruits honoring to the Lord. Good work to all you uh, men who are cramping his style. You know, good job. Let's keep doing that, you know, cramping people's styles by uh, reaching out to them and sharing the gospel. Good job. Well, before we get to the message, we have... um, Just two significant events that I want to share with all of you in the life of our church. First of all, uh, tonight our pastor intern, Jason Park, will be uh, uh, graduating from the Master's Seminary, commencing his uh, seminary uh, training, and um, we're thrilled to uh, just have him be a part of our church and for him to go through membership and prove himself as a man of God able in ministry, and not to be partnering with him and the Lord and the church has been a thrill for Bob and I and our pastors and our flock shepherds. He is indeed God's gift, the church universal, and God's gift to us. I know that many of you have already been really encouraged and edified by his example, his ministry, his teaching, his character. He's really surprised me, you know, for a young man, he's got... I've got a huge heart, for a huge heart for the Lord, and um, really leaning forward, pressing forward in things of Christ, and I'm thrilled to see it, Bob and I were thrilled to see how God will use him uh, here at Cornerstone and Church Universal. You know, in the beginning of Acts, it was um, Barnabas and Paul, and then it changed around to Paul and Barnabas. I could see in a short few years, you know, it would be uh, Jason and James, uh, you know, and I'll be serving alongside him with great joy. Praise God for that. Next communion, uh, next month, um, we will have, we'll give Jason an opportunity to share uh, a few words with all of you, share his heart and his um, desire for the church, and ministry in the church. And we'll also share with you a short announcement about just changing, uh, more of a formal um, um, role for him at Cornerstone Bible Church. And the second significant event is um, undoubtedly Dale and Joan. This is it. After mission service, we're not going to mention you guys any longer. <laughs> you guys are uncomfortable. So we'll forget about it as soon as you guys get on that plane. But until that time, we need to kind of make a lot of Dale and Joan announcements. So here's the um, last one for me, at least. Um, they're uh, leaving us uh, this Tuesday. We had an opportunity to host them um, Thursday night. And they s- had, we had dinner together. They spent the night at our home their whole life has been reduced to three bags, luggage bags. And they came to sleep over with this small duffel bag. It was literally this small. And they've sold their house, sold their cars, uh, or selling their cars, and quit their jobs. And they are a lean, mean, um, gospel-preaching couple machine (laughs) going abroad. (laughs) And and it's really neat for us. I think uh, the elders and many of you, uh, we've known Joan... Think since she was junior high, and I think I'm maybe the only pastor you've had since then, right? I mean, you had a junior elementary pastor, but not really. So <laughs> I'm the only pastor she's really ever had, and to see her grow in the Lord, she's always had a deep love for Christ and deep love for God's Word. And uh, Dale came out to us. He was living with Pat, and I think Pat became a Christian, and he saw how much Pat changed, and he wanted to kind of check out our church to see. Uh, what Pat's been learning, and he came out, right after we planted, in ninety nine and to see him grow as a man of God, and I remember when they were getting married, and this is the prayer that we pray for all our married couples, through premarital, and uh, before they're wed, I have a private time with each couple, and pray for them, and I pray, and we pray, that they will not waste their lives, that they will not make much of each other, or much of marriage, but they will make much of Christ, they will not waste their marriage, and... Um, To see them headed off in this uh, journey overseas, it thrills my heart because uh, God is honoring their prayers and all of our prayers. I don't know if I can share this or not, but Joan said this, and I thought it was so right. I think she told, (laughs) I'm saying, if you tell me anything, I'm going to (laughs) share. All right, so you share at your own peril, right? So you you have been warned. Um, I think Joan said to Dale, I don't know when, when she said this, but she'd rather have 10 good years of serving Christ than 50 mediocre years, 50 years of compromise, 50 years of shallow living in comfort. And uh, what a right mindset, you know. It's better to have 10 good years and and go to heaven than live a long life and enjoy and kind of wither away. So we thank God for you and uh, look forward to our sending service this afternoon and also Tuesday night. Well, John 16. 12 through 15 is our text for this morning. Many years ago, I read uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's book, "Lectures to My Students." He is called the Prince of Preachers. If you've ever had a chance to read any of Spurgeon's sermons, you would agree he was an eminently uh, a man of God, a man who was thoroughly soaked in the Scriptures and a powerful proclaimer of the Word of God. Many called him the last of the Puritans, that he was the last one who um, heralded the great doctrines of Scripture with passion and power. He wrote to his students, telling them that every time he entered the pulpit, he would whisper to himself and pray, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That really struck me, because I saw firsthand that his reliance on the Word of God, the power of God's Word, was not in his wisdom, in how he can articulate these truths, how this forceful or persuasive abilities. He understood that the power of the sermon was wholly and largely dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. And if anyone believed in the Holy Spirit, if, if anyone needed to believe in the Holy Spirit, in the whole church, it must be the preacher. So he would pray, each time entering the pulpit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, from that moment on, I would, I would try to remember that prayer. And oftentimes, especially when I needed God's grace, especially when I, you know, I needed God to shine His face upon me as I preached the Word, I would pray to God, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe it's not dependent upon me. It's not really even dependent upon you to understand, comprehend, and apply the truths of Scripture. It depends upon the Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And I would pray this prayer. It was not until our study in John 16, our previous passage, 7 through 11, that I fully grasped what it means to believe in the Holy Spirit. What it means... Ah, to believe in the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, Christ said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And that was a huge study for many of you and definitely for me. When I began my study in verse 8, I was in a cloud, I was in a fog, didn't know where to enter, how to navigate and where to come out. But by God's grace, through studying verse 8, God granted me an understanding of what Christ was saying. That when the Holy Spirit comes, He will do a heart work, a spiritual work, In the world, in the world of unbelievers, in the world of darkness, He will convict the world. He will convict them, He will judge them, announce guilty of their sin, Christ's righteousness and impending judgment. But not only that, in the world, He will convince many hearts that are callous, cold, dark, rebelling against Him, entrenched against the will of God, The Holy Spirit will do spiritual surgery and He will convince many of their sin of unbelief that it's unreasonable, that it's not right. It's not reasonable for them to reject the beautiful Lord, to reject one who is so meek and humble, one who is so holy and upright, someone who is full of truth and grace, who is crucified on the behalf of sins of the world. Holy Spirit will convince them that it is wrong, and they will repent of unbelief. Not only that, He would convince many of the righteousness of Christ, that He had no sin in Him, that He was uh, a Lamb of God without blemish, spot or spot. He was lived a perfect life, full of righteousness, and that the reality of judgment is assured. I was convinced. I was, uh, for the first time, grasped really with a biblical clarity of the work of the Holy Spirit, that He does this work of convicting and convincing, and that it is not my job to do that. It is not up to me. That as I come to preach the the Word of God, I pray, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And what do I mean by that? I mean that I believe that the Holy Spirit will take the living and active, pure and holy Word of God, and will convict people who hear, regardless of their response, if they respond like Sam did, hey, I'm going to hell, I don't care. I'm going, to, I'm going to live in sin. I love sin more than Christ. Regardless of their response, the Holy Spirit is going to convict them as guilty. And they stand judged by the Word of God. But also in the world, the Holy Spirit will convince many, will open their ho- eyes, will break their hearts, will cause them to not rend their garments, but rend their hearts, beating their chests, and repent. He will do this. That is why He was sent. That is why He is here. That is the work that He is accomplishing throughout the world today. And He will do it through the Word of God. Holy Spirit does that every time the Word is preached. So how do I trust in the Word of God? It's trust in the Holy Spirit, it is by simply preaching the Word, simply preaching God's truth. And I guess that is the mindset, I don't guess, that is the mindset behind why we as a church and why I preach the way I do. Some might say, oh, the cornerstone, they're too intense, they're... They're too Bible-oriented. You know, after all, we are a cornerstone Bible church, and what do you expect? But they say we're too Bible-oriented, too doctrinal, too into theology. It's too dry, too mechanical, too expositional even. Where are the stories, illustrations, anecdotes? Where are the jokes? Where's the drama team? Why come they don't show like scenes from the movie? They have a projector. I don't think they know how to hook up the laptop computer with a DVD-ROM and push play and, and show a scene to kind of, you know, gather the attention of the people so that they would listen to the Word of God? What about all these? How come all they do is preach the Word? What is the reason for that? Well, two weeks ago, we found the answer. Because not just me, I'm not the only one praying that prayer. Every believer at Cornerstone Bible Church... We pray that prayer and we live it out. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe it. And that forms how we do ministry, how we preach, how we evangelize, how we lead one-to-one Bible study or small group or flocks. Faith in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit informs, influences, and shapes all that we do and say in our church. And that was crystallized for us two weeks ago. So here we are, back again in John 16. Again, it is Christ's last night, last evening with the disciples. And much of the dialogue that Christ has in the upper room surprises, surprised me. I didn't realize this coming into 14 through 17 that so much of Christ's instructions, last parting words to the disciples, centered around the Holy Spirit. So much of it you go back to John 14, 16-17, Christ talked about the Helper to be with you forever. He calls Him the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot receive Him because the world does not know Him, cannot see Him. But you know Him for He dwells within you and will be with you. Later on in verse 26, Christ spoke of the Holy Spirit again. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again in John fifteen twenty six, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. Christ is again and again bringing to the front of their minds, The Holy Spirit, He is coming. I will be sending Him. He will do the work. He will, I'm not leaving you as orphans. He will oversee. He will guide. He will teach. And then, John 16, 7, 8 again. How the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world. And then at the end, today's passage, 13 through 15. It is here where Christ finally tells us, he, at, the, at the very end tells us, the ultimate purpose the coming of the Holy Spirit. The ultimate reason why the Holy Spirit is here. And again, Christians, we need to understand this truth, the simple truth, because we are in the age of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is left. He is with the Father at the right hand of His throne. He has sent the Holy Spirit. We are under His guardianship, under His authority. And so for us to understand the ultimate purpose of why He is here and the reason why He is doing all these things is eminently important for us. Our Lord wants to make it clear and just to kind of uh, bracket our study and so that there is no misunderstanding. I'll just share with you the central theme of 13 through 15. Our Lord wants to make it crystal, crystal clear that the Holy Spirit has been sent To glorify Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, all that He does, all His ministry, all His works, is for one ultimate purpose to glorify God's Son. It's not to point, give attention to Himself. He's not here for Himself, He's here for Christ. It's like, that's why the charismatics today, they're misguided. All this attention towards the Holy Spirit, that's the last thing He wants. That's the last thing. He is here to point us to Jesus Christ. But so many believers are focused on the Holy Spirit. It's like your best friend asks you to be your uh, best man. Or asks you to you know, be a, a maid of honor. And you're at the wedding and you're standing there and everybody's looking at you. and Everybody's saying, wow, your hair is so great. Right? Wow, you are such a handsome guy. You know, And look, you're such a good, you know, whatever, a guy, whatever, a girl. And you're like, in the wedding service, you're like embarrassed, because the groom and the bride, it's their day. The focus should be upon them, but you're getting the attention, but that's not your heart. You're, you're telling the congregation, like, pointing to the groom, pointing to the bride. It's their day. Well, likewise the Holy Spirit, we will see that His heart, His will, His desire, to glorify Christ. That is why He was sent. Let's go to verse 12. In verse 12, we see the need for the Spirit's coming. The need for the Spirit's coming. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Before we get into it, I want you to consider this number. um, 24. Uh, 24 there are 24 sentences left before Christ ends His dialogue with the disciples. He is nearing its end. He is done. Chapter 17, He's not addressing the disciples. He's addressing God the Father. It's the high priestly prayer. So He's got 24 sentences left. And He's not limited by time. But He's limited by by the disciples not being able to comprehend, understand, and bear the truths that Christ wants to give to them. He has so much He wants to share with them. He has so much He wants to tell them. All these glorious truths about God the Father and the Holy Spirit, about salvation, forgiveness of sins, about His sufferings and His death on the cross, His resurrection, the mystery of the church, the kingdom that is to come the glorious throne in heaven, He wants to share so much. But, He says He can't. Disciples were unable to bear these lofty truths. Picture the scene. Our Lord is looking at these men. This very night, these men have revealed their sinful pride. Within a few hours, they will be falling away denying the Lord, instead of focusing their attention on Christ, they were self-centered, self-focused, concerned about their own, their own personal needs. If at any time these disciples needed to know truth, it was right here. Yet, they manifested slowness, slowness of mind. Slowness of mind. It was so important for them to know spiritual truths. But they were blinded. They were discerned. Their hearts were not open. This demonstrates their utter need for the Holy Spirit. That because of their spiritual dullness, due to their utter self-centeredness, due to their own prejudices, they were unable to carry, unable to handle, bear the truths that Christ wanted to give to them. And this tells us the necessity of the Holy Spirit, that without the Holy Spirit, we are not able to understand and receive divine truth. To receive the truth of God, we must have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Without it, it's not possible. It is like telling a young child complex things, things that are too wonderful, things that are too grandiose, their hearts are too small, their minds are limited to comprehend these things. Well, likewise with those who do not have the Holy Spirit. And so, you see, says the heart of Christ. He wants to share so much, but they're unable. Their hearts are dull. Now, we can honestly say that they have a legitimate reason for their lack of ability to bear truth. They did not have the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, there is no excuse for us. There is no excuse for you. Believers here, you and I, have the Holy Spirit. The one who inspired the Scriptures indwelling within us to teach us, guide us, and lead us into all the truth. We don't have a legitimate excuse. If we're spiritually dull, if we're not able to discern and handle the truth, it is fully our responsibility. It is our fault. The reason for our failure to grasp fully and apply these truths is simply our sinfulness, our laziness, our selfishness, especially at Cornerstone. There really is... There is very little reason why anyone at Cornerstone should stay as an immature Christian or they should plateau as a believer, or even digress as a believer. Because our commitment is to feed you the Word of God. Through the pulpit, second hour, through our conferences, retreats, through our flocks, one-to-ones, we do our best to proclaim Christ so that you might be complete in Him, you might be mature in Him. And yet if you're stagnant in your Christian walk your mind is dull your spiritual disciplines are weak you're not bearing fruit for the Lord you can't blame the Holy Spirit really legitimately you can't blame the church or blame you know your brothers or sisters or your flock shepherd or your small group leader only one is you you're the one These men, is different. They didn't have the Holy Spirit, but you and I have the Holy Spirit in full measure. Well, Christ says, there's so much He wants to share with them, but He cannot because they cannot bear the truth. And then He points towards the future. Right now, you can't receive the truth. Verse 13, But you will one day be able to receive these truths when the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Title for the Holy Spirit. Christ uh, gave this title in John 14, 17. Spirit of truth. We stated it in John 15, 26. Apostle John picked up on this and stated it again in 1 John 4, 6. Spirit of truth. the spirit of truth comes what will he do? He will guide believers into all the truth and we find here the purpose of the spirit's coming it's very interesting he has dual roles non-Christians he will do the work of convicting and convincing of sin, righteousness and judgment but for Christians he will do something completely different because he dwells within us in a sense, we have the truth. And so, instead of convicting and convincing, He will guide us into all the truth. He will guide us. The idea is not inspiration of the, whole, the Scriptures. Not the idea of giving us uh, the New Testament Scriptures. Christ spoke of that in John 14, 26. Here in verse 13, the idea is one of Interpretation. Idea of understanding, of insight and illumination. That's the idea. It's the idea of someone who is a Christian, and the Holy Spirit will help him or her to understand the Scriptures, to, to get insight, have their eyes be open to the significance of these truths. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8, 26. And we find uh, Luke using the same word to describe this um, supernatural process, telling us that spiritual understanding, understanding of the Bible, is really not so much a, a, a physical labor or an intellectual labor or external work, but it really is a spiritual, supernatural work. Acts twenty, Acts eight twenty six, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. An angel of the Lord came to the running evangelist and he told him, Rise and go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert place When he rose and went. Verse 27, There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He was an official of the government. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was going back home. He was seated on his chariot And of all things, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Do you have insight? Can you comprehend what the truth of this passage means? And the Ethiopian youth replied, and he said, how can I, unless Someone guides me. The same word. John sixteen, thirteen. Haggedeo. Guide. Lead. Even interpret. Explain. Ethiopian Union said, How can I understand the Word of God unless someone guides me? I am helpless. Without someone instructing me. And because it's a transitional time, the canon of Scripture wasn't completed. The Holy Spirit was working with the apostles and their contemporaries. And the Holy Spirit used Philip to unfold the truths of Isaiah 53, explaining the passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with the Scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus Christ. And he led him through the Word of God. He navigated him and showed him the beautiful sights that are in the Scriptures, explaining what this all means. And the Ethiopian eunuch got it. He understood. He saw his own sinfulness, saw the beauty of Christ understood the need for repentance and baptism. When He came upon water, His response was immediate. There was some water. Why can I not be baptized? In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit used, again, apostles and their contemporaries to explain the Word of God, to guide, to haggadale, to interpret divine truth. Christ pointed further ahead, telling the disciples, and when the Spirit of Truth comes, He Himself will guide believers through the Word of God. The indwelling Holy Spirit will open our eyes and give give us insight into the Scriptures. We, we, we're not dependent upon the Roman Catholic Church. We're not dependent upon councils. We're not dependent upon creeds or traditions. There is no uh, uh, outside authority that... Uh, that governs, governs our hearts. The Holy Spirit is granted to each believer, giving us insight, illuminating us, quick, quickening our hearts, aiding us in interpreting and understanding the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Paul said, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, But the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Paul is saying, how do we understand these truths? Because we have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals to us, explains to us, empowers us, quickens us to understand these deep truths. 1 Corinthians 2.13 and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That is why you preach the Word of God, and an unbeliever sits there, and he has, he's in a fog. He's in a dark cloud. He has no idea what is going on. It is not because he is not intelligent. It is not because he's not a disciplined man and listening and comprehending uh, propositional truths. It's not because he's just limited in any physical way. He could be uh, um, part of the Mensa. He could be uh, 170 IQ. Uh, but the reason he is blinded is because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. But for believers, when we just read the Word of God and preach the Word, the Holy Spirit superintends that process. And grants us insight, understanding, and even application to our own souls. That is why Bible study is by faith. You know, we read the Bible. We read the Bible, we don't know what's going on. We don't know. We don't see tangible growth, but we read it by faith. We study the Word of God. In flock, you just study, you just believe God. As I study, as I meditate, as I memorize, as I share, as I, even as I preach, I just preach by faith, you listen by faith, believing that the Holy Spirit illumines our hearts, gives us understanding, enabling us to grow and mature as Christians. It is, there is a mysterious, supernatural element at work. Every time we fix our eyes upon the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. That is why Christ is here. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide believers into all the truth. He is not guiding us into many truths. He is guiding us into one harmonious, unified, coherent truth. Summed up in the Word of God. Guiding us, speaking to us, declaring. And the authority of under which He does this, is not Himself, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. Let me just camp here a little bit. That the Holy Spirit does not speak on His own authority. He does not speak independently of the Father and Son. There is this interplay within the Trinity, this harmonious uh, interdependence between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is, which is beautiful. Christ said, I do not speak of my own authority. John twelve forty nine, 49. John five thirty, 30. John eight twenty six. 26. Everything that I say has been given to me by the Father. I say whatever He has told me to say. I do exactly what He has told me to do. And our Lord's desire is to glorify the Father. Father loves the Son, has given all things into His hands. The Holy Spirit not only applies the death of Christ into the elect, but also all that He says, all that He does, His guiding believers to the truth is under the authority of Jesus Christ Himself. Even though He is fully God, like the Father and like the Son, functionally, He joyfully, willfully submits Himself. And everything that He says is in accordance to Christ's will and Christ's authority. What a model. What a model for all of us. What a rebuke. And a reminder to all those, myself included, who teach the Bible, who go out witnessing and share the Gospel with others, if the Holy Spirit God Himself will not deviate independently according to His own will and give truth. The Holy Spirit Himself is careful to just declare what Christ told Him to say. How much more? That must be our task. That must be our hearts. To preach simply and purely the Word of God. Not ideas of our own imagination. Not philosophies and the wisdom of this world. But just to deliver what the Holy Spirit under the authority of Christ has given to us in the scriptures. What is our task? What is our job? To deliver that word faithfully to others. Finally, the last part of verse 13. He will declare to you the things that are to come. And here it is speaking about inspiration. Not only will the Holy Spirit guide believers an understanding of revealed truth, He will also give prophetic revelation, um, pointing to uh, much of the Scriptures and the Gospels and Acts, particularly the book of Revelation, prophetic revelation concerning the truth. The Holy Spirit will come and declare to you the future. And it culminates here in verse 14 and 15. Here in verse 14... Christ uh, reveals to us the ultimate purpose for Christ's coming, for the Holy Spirit's coming, the end that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here is the central and distinguishing subject of this passage. This is the prime object of the Holy Spirit. Whatever He does, whether it's revealing truth, speaking what He hears, showing what what things are to come, all that He does has this ultimate purpose in mind is to glorify Jesus Christ in the minds of believers. The Holy Spirit is working to magnify Christ before the eyes of you and I. He wants to magnify Christ in the minds of believers. He doesn't want preeminence He doesn't want attention. He wants all believers to have their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. The Spirit of truth seeks to honor and promote the Lord. Not only is He giving us the words, truths from Christ, but it is also centered on Christ. Revelation given to the Holy Spirit is not merely the teaching of our Lord but it is also the teaching about our Lord. The Holy Spirit just wants to talk about Jesus Christ. He wants to just promote Him and describe Him and honor Him and teach about Him and promote His cause all about Christ. Therefore, any teaching that claims to be, from, uh, claims to be divine revelation and does not exalt Christ... Is false teaching. Any teaching that distracts us away from Christ, any teaching that undermines the uniqueness of Christ is false. It's error. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not from the Spirit of Truth. He would never do such a thing. He would never dare. That's not His purpose. That's not His heart. That's not His will. His will is singular to glorify the Son, glorify Jesus Christ. You know, thinking through this, this week, you know, I ask for your prayers. This summer, uh, eight of us from Cornerstone will be going to uh, Czech Republic with with my family. And Peter Smith has asked me to uh, preach the gospel each night to over a hundred unbelievers uh, in their English camp. Uh, Dale and I sat down for a great length of time dialoguing about the evening sessions and and how, they, how receptive they are, unbelievers, uh, towards the Word of God. And he was telling me, it's like sowing a seed in cement. Their hearts are cold, their hearts are calloused, hearts are hardened towards the Word of God. I've been praying for weeks, maybe months, ever since Peter asked, invited me to come. How will I proclaim Christ? How will I teach on Christ? And I found, found the answer here because I understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Holy Spirit wants me to preach the Word. Right? I know they want to hear anecdotes. They want to hear evidences. They want to hear arguments. They would love for me to launch into philosophy. Right? Quote like, I don't know, philosophers, whoever they are, right? <laughs> I mean, I know they want me to you know, talk about stories and jokes, entertain them, engage them, appeal to their logic, appeal to their rationale and their senses. And so they puff up their pride and appeal to them or use kind of tricks of the trade by appealing to Christ's love and, and, and mercy and, and pity for Christ. tug at their heartstrings to get them to believe in Christ. I know that's what they want. But that's not what the Holy Spirit wants. Holy Spirit wants me and you just to preach the Word. Because He will do the work of convicting and convincing. And He wants me to present Christ before the unbelieving world to glorify Christ, to share with them how much we as believers cherish Christ, how much we treasure Him, how beautiful He is to us, how by displaying what the Spirit has revealed about Jesus Christ, I mean the Gospels, what a courageous man, what a humble man, how meek, how kind, compassionate, friend of tax collectors, friend of sinners, and His humble, loving, obedience to the Father, how He submitted Himself to God the Father, and gave Himself willingly to the cross, and to that end, the, to the very end, He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And in His resurrection, He's not angry, He's not resentful or bitter, He has more compassion for those who crucified Him. And His call to us, is to spread that message of hope, to the four corners of this world. I want to share, and you want to share the beauty of Christ and glorify Him because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. As we preach the word glorify Christ, we are working with the Spirit of truth. I know that as, as I do this, as I attempt to do this this summer, and as you do that among non-believers to non-believers in your, in your lives, I know the Holy Spirit is pleased. In that way, you're not grieving the Holy Spirit. To that degree, you're honoring Christ who gave us the Holy Spirit and gave us the words through which Holy Spirit has given to us. You're honoring Christ and the Holy Spirit and, God, and God's Father. Oh, three final thoughts to end our time. Again, there are two ways that the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of error, robs Christ of His glory. There are two ways. First is, false teaching. direct right way of um, diminishing directly the uniqueness of Christ. Lowering Christ's um, deity or personhood. Or lowering his work, that he did not accomplish salvation on the cross, all these are not from the spirit of truth, they're from the spirit of the Antichrist. That's a direct way that the glory of Christ is robbed. So all cults, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, unification Church, the Roman Catholic Church. The Holy Spirit does not reside in these religions or these ideologies. Holy Spirit has nothing to do with them because the Holy Spirit is not 99% truth. It's not 70% or 50% truth. He is the Spirit of truth and nothing but the truth. And these religions are filled with error because they deny either the deity of Christ or the accomplished work of Christ, of salvation on the cross. Therefore, the spirit that they have is the spirit of error. The spirit of the Antichrist, 1 John 4. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus... Is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So any spirit that adds to or takes away a biblical doctrine of Jesus Christ is from the spirit of the Antichrist. That's the first way Christ's glory is taken away. Second way is a more indirect, subtle way, is the way of elevating anyone. To the level of holiness, purity, and power of Jesus Christ. Anytime time a human being is elevated to the level of holiness, purity, and the power of Jesus Christ, it is not from the Holy Spirit. It's not from the Spirit of Truth and the Spirit of the Antichrist. Frankie Schaefer um, wrote this forward in the book Gandhi. Nobody knew, and um, you know, I have the book. Welcome to borrow it. Very insightful things, the historical uh, uh, truths about the real Gandhi. It points out that the movie Gandhi, the three-hour uh, commercial for the nation of India, was produced by the tourism tourism board of the nation of India. Right. So the, the the money that made that movie came from the tourism board of India, and so it was a three-hour commercial promoting that nation and promoting Gandhi. And uh, they definitely, um, you know, covered over uh, the, the truths about who Gandhi really, really was. And sad to say, many saw that movie not as a drama, not as a work of, at least, a fictionalized version of Gandhi's life. Many saw that movie as a documentary, as a faithful rendering of this man. And that kind of mindset uh, continues to this day. And Frankie Schaefer wrote, there are two ways that Christ's unique person can be destroyed in the minds of human beings. The first and the more usual way is to attack the truth of the Bible concerning the person of Christ. But the second way is perhaps more insidious, though less obvious. This is to elevate any person, mere mortals, to Christ-like status. To speak of men with the same reverence that is to be attributed only to God is to attack the uniqueness of Christ. This is indeed more deadly, insidious, and far more common, worshipping and esteeming men to such a place where the uniqueness of Christ is diminished. Do we see that? When we esteem human beings... The uniqueness of Christ to that degree is diminished. And the world has done this and continues to do this to this day. Where a sinner named John Paul II dies. And they attribute to him the title of holiness. Title of Christ on earth. Of purity and and, and, and attributes that belong only to God and Christ Himself. And they make a, such a grand deal as if He is someone unique or special next to Jesus Christ. Or in the world, Princess Diana. Or Mother Teresa. Or Gandhi. Or the list goes on and on and on. When we succumb to this mindset, or are succumbing to the spirit of error. Because only Christ is holy. Only Christ is God. Only Christ is glorious only Christ is worthy of our praise, of our adoration, of our worship. No man should be given such titles, such ascriptions. The church is also guilty of this. The Christian church. By elevating her servants. By the celebrity mentality. Elev- uh, uh, elevating pastors and ministers and Bible teachers. And treating us as if we're on a higher plane than other believers. Paul rebuked this mindset in 1 Corinthians 3. One says, I follow Paul as if Paul is worth following, as if Paul is someone special, or I follow Apollos. Are we not human beings, servants through whom you believed? He says, I planted Apollos watered, but God caused the growth, neither He who plants, nor He who waters it anything, but only God who gives the growth. If you are encouraged by me, if you are encouraged by any past year's flock shepherd or, or MacArthur or Sproul, we must have a mature Christian mindset. They are just servants. They are blue-collar. I am a blue-collar worker. All, right? all I do is sow. All I do is water. Your growth is due to God, the Holy Spirit. So all praise go to Him. All adoration, all worship, all credit go to Christ, not to any man. If we give our allegiance, if we speak highly of people at the expense of Christ, then we're robbing God of his glory, robbing Christ of his glory. That's why Paul, again and again, every time he introduced himself, he said, I'm a slave, I'm a servant, I'm a loss, I'm a loss, I'm an under rower. Well, 1 Timothy 1, he was quick to share his testimony on the worst of all sinners. Right? May my name be forgotten in the name of Christ be remembered forevermore. That must be the practice of the church and final application. How do we glorify Christ? We glorify Christ by making much of Him, by magnifying Him, by making much of His truths, making much of the Scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit We don't focus on the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want our attention. He's pointing us to Jesus Christ. He desires that we glorify the Lord. The Holy Spirit rejoices when Christians focus their hearts on the Word of God which directs us to Jesus Christ. As we obey the Word of God, as we faithfully teach and proclaim the Word of God to this world, the Spirit rejoices in Jesus Christ the Son. It's glorified. Oh, Holy Father, words in a way fail me even to pray to close the sermon, for I know that the true work is done and being done by the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we would not trust, really, in a sermon. We would not trust in our church or our ministry. We would trust in the Holy Spirit. That as we cherish the Word of God, as we give our attention to the Scriptures, the preaching of the Word, as the Word of God is understood and digested in our minds and comprehended in our hearts and applied in our souls, Lord, we would understand and be illumined, not because of us, not because of my abilities or as a preacher or anyone's abilities to understand or listen, but this will promote growth and maturity and give glory to Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of His work. Lord, we trust in You. We believe in You. After having begun our, our lives, Christian lives, by faith, may we not end with works of the flesh. May we continue in faith, continue to trust in the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and honoring Christ so that at the end, all praise, all glory, all honor will go to Jesus Christ and Him alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.